body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. There we go. Your body is the temple of God is what the Bible says. And we know that the Holy Spirit dwells our body, dwells inside of our body. But we don't understand this concept until we can understand the temple. Because if we are the temple, then we are like a temple. God is not just saying that we're the house of the Holy Spirit. He could have said that. He could have said that you are the bottle of the Holy Spirit. He could have said you are the barrel of the Holy Spirit. He said none of that. You are the box of the Holy Spirit. He could have just simply said you are the vessel of the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't say that. He's very specific in telling us that God made us the same way he made the temple. And until you understand how the temple is made and the functionality of the temple, then it's hard for us to really identify and understand how the Holy Spirit works in our life and how he works through us because it goes through temple ministry the same way it does in the heavenly temple and the earthly temple. So we're going to go through a teaching tonight on this. You're going to have to take a lot of notes because you're not going to remember everything that we talk about tonight. I think this is kind of a fun sermon. We're going to slow down a little bit and give you some fun facts, but I think this is one of those sermons that uh, hopefully you're going to remember and talk about for a while. Let's, uh, let's go into Genesis. Let's start off in the book of Genesis where the Lord says in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and 27, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Did you notice that he has said this three times? In these two verses, he has repeated the same phrase three times that man is made in the image of God. So does which one of us does God look like then? If we are made in the image of God, is God made like the women in the room or is God made like the men in the room? Is God tall? Is he short? Is he thick? Is he thin? I mean, there's all kinds of hairlines and nose lines and earlobe lines in this room. So which one of us looks the most like God. Well, I don't think God is talking about a human form. I don't believe that God is saying that he's human or that we look like him in the sense that he has fingers and toes and eyes and ears, even though God can manifest himself in anything he wants to manifest himself as. God can show up looking like a man. God can show up looking like a rock. God can show up looking like a flame of fire. So when he says that we're made in the image of God, what is he talking about? He's is he talking about our physical form or could it be something more than that? Well, we are indeed created in the image of God and in the likeness of God, but God doesn't have a human form that's limited as ours is. Even if you try to look at the body of angels, you're not going to find many angels in the Bible who look like a man. Most angels described in the Bible look like a combination of something celestial that we've never seen and an animal and a man combined. So when you look at angels, they have calves feet. Have you ever met a man with feet like a cow? 
They have calves' feet. Some of them have the face of a lion, the face of an ox, the face of an eagle, the face of a man. And even those seraphim that I just described, they don't have skin like a man. They don't, they have six wings. They do have arms. They do have legs. Their legs are like calves' feet, but their body looks like molten uh, bronze. It is like burning bronze. They don't have smooth skin or freckled skin or, 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 or dark skin or light skin. Their skin looks like molten brass. It looks like boiling brass and there's lightning in their skin. Have you ever met anyone who looks like that? So, so where does God fit in all of this the vision or the visual of God. Where does God fit in all of this? So when you see God in his, on his throne in the book of Revelation, as John writes, he sees him as encircled rainbow. The next time you pull up to your red light, have your little praise break because that's the color of God. You see green and red and amber. Those are the colors of God. So when you see God around his throne, it's the same colors that are on your red light that you see every time you drive down the road. Those are the the colors of God. So when you see God in an encircled rainbow, what does he look like in that form? We also see Christophanies in the Bible, which are appearances of Christ. Sometimes we see him as a rock. Sometimes we see him as fire. We've seen the Holy Spirit as a dove. We've seen God as, a, as the fourth man in the fire. He's likened to bread and plants and stones and books and land and all kinds of things. Look at how God showed up when he cut covenant with Abraham. What did he look like then? He looked like a torch in a furnace. I don't have time to go into that, but Bill Cloud is here tonight. He would probably love to bite off a, a bite of that one because what you see is you see the outer court and the inner court ministry. You see the brazen altar and you see the menorah in the way God showed up to cut covenant with Abraham. And that's another message for another day. So when God shows us a physical form of some sort, he is not always, so he's not looking like a man. So what does God look? like. Well, we are created in the image of God in the fact that we are a triune being just like God. God is Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit, and we are body, soul, and spirit. Until we understand that, we don't understand the functionality of even how our spirit works. And I'm going to show you this in a moment when we get into the temple, but here's what I want you to notice about yourself right now. You have a body and a soul that is in your natural physical world, but then you're elevated into a supernatural spiritual world through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you are divinely connected to heaven while permanently for a while connected to this earth. You are a spiritual being with human flaws. What a struggle. When the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What a struggle when we have to deal with human imperfections. We deal with the imperfections of our bodies, but do you know that you can have an imperfect body and a perfect spirit at the same time? I know blind people who prayed for people who were instantly healed. My father 
walks on crutches and braces and has his entire life. He was a polio victim at the age of two. And my dad has always walked on crutches and braces. He's 78 years old. That's still how he gets around. It's the only way he's ever known to get around because it's how he learned to walk at the age of two on crutches and braces. But my dad has laid hands. I saw my dad lay his hands on a little boy that had a broken arm that was broken completely off. I mean, you could see the break in the arm. It was a, a break where the bone was sticking up out of the skin. He fell of the church and my dad laid his hands. Here's my dad in an imperfect earthen vessel, but he lays his hands on a little boy's broken arm and the spiritual man in him prayed the prayer of faith and the little boy's arm was instantly healed. Right before my eyes as a little boy, I remember seeing those bones fuse back together and God healed the scar and everything right in front of my eyes. So the struggle of humanity is that how do we identify our spiritual side when we have all of these human struggles that we have to deal with? How do we know, how do we have confidence in the Spirit of God working in us when we don't feel good? Some days you feel saved, and some days you just feel lousy, but you're still saved. If you get up in the morning and stub your toe on the bed, trying to find your way through a dark room to get to the restroom, and on the way you fall down and pop your head, and you are having the most miserable morning, the good news is you are still saved sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's the good news. But until we're raptured, until we're glorified, we are living in the human struggle of the body, soul, and spirit. So God says that he would choose such imperfections for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. Why not make us perfect? Because the Bible tells us we're not perfect. If it wasn't for the righteousness of Christ, God could barely stand to look at most of us. But he sees us through the righteousness of Christ. He cast our sins as far as the east are from the west. But if we had to stand before God in all of the sins we've committed, a holy God could couldn't even stare to look at us, stand to look at us. But because of the righteousness of Christ, he says, I will choose that imperfect vessel and allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in a vessel of clay. As imperfect as it is, as unhealthy as it may be from time to time, and as confused as it may get, and as struggling as it may be, I will still choose this because I'm making it like a temple. Wow. So he's making me like a temple. I just want to say thank you to all of our ministry partners who help us take the gospel around the world and train pastors and leaders around the world. Because of you, we have been able to do so much for the kingdom and expand the kingdom of God. Uh, I was able to train over 5,000 church planters just in the country of India alone. We've worked all through Africa as well as Europe. Uh, every year I go to Romania and train pastors and we've trained hundreds of pastors there in, in Romania. We've graduated over 3,000 pastors from programs, certificate programs, just in Central America. Uh, our teams and our, the young men and women that I've taken on the field with me, numerous uh, young ministers who I just want to give them experience and, and uh, help them to get their feet wet in ministry, 
We have gone around the world spreading the gospel and none of this is possible without you. I just wanna say thank you for your continued support, whether it's a one-time donation of any size or whether it is a, a monthly donation that you've decided to partner with us uh, monthly. I just wanna say thank you for that. And for those of you that are looking for ways to give to this ministry, because it is a good seed to sow in and we're doing things around the world, here's a screen that would tell you some easy ways that you can give to this ministry. But once again, I just say thank you from the bottom of my heart and from all of those lives that you are changing. It is my honor to be your ambassador to the world. If I want to understand how the Holy Spirit works in me, the first thing I have to understand is if I am the temple of the Lord, what does the functionality of the temple look like? Well, I'm just going to break this down simply. We're not going to go into too many details. But here you have the outer court. Everybody say the outer court. That is your struggle in the flesh. That is your body. Then we have the inner court. Everybody say inner court. That is your soul. And then you have the holy of holies. And everybody say holy of holies. The holiest place is your spirit. So why did God make us like a temple? Well, he knew that out here we would die to our flesh daily. He knew out here they were making sacrifices of the flesh in the mornings and the evenings. And sometimes you have to pray twice a day just to get through the day. So on the outer side, we are struggling in our flesh. That is why he's given us two pieces. One, we're burning things up on an altar and sacrificing. We're, we're coming into a cleansing stage, laying it all down, and then we go over to the laver to be cleansed. We wash our hands. We wash our face. We wash our feet. And there we continue to stay in the presence of God. That is why he has given us the word of God. When the laver was made, the original labor was made, it was made from mirrors that were molten down and every time you looked at the, at the molten uh, labor, you saw the mirrors that had, been, that had been melted down. And the Bible says that when you look into the Word of God, it is a mirror, and you will see your true reflection in the mirror of God every time you look into the Word of God. It's supposed to convict us, not just make us feel good. It's supposed to show us ways that we need to change and things that we need to do and give us instruction. And that is what sanctification means. I've heard the old saints, and I grew up in the in the old Pentecostal way, and I remember the saints getting up, and almost every time they stood up to testify, maybe you've heard this before, I am saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Anybody ever heard that testimony before? And, and I was confused for a long time about what all that meant. I mean, I knew what they said. I knew salvation, but I didn't, I, I always, I never knew when I got saved. I felt like I was always getting saved. Every evangelist come by, I got saved. Every youth camp, I got saved. I stayed under conviction most of my life. I don't know if you call that a mean kid or mischievous, but I felt like I, I remember the last prayer of my day almost every night was, Lord, if I've sinned, because I was pretty sure I did. If I've sinned and done anything that displeased you, please forgive me, because I don't want to die and go to hell 
while I'm asleep. I just guess I thought if I heard the shofar blow, I could repent real fast during the daytime. But at night, I had to make sure that I was saved before I, I went to sleep at night. But what I understand now is that this is what sanctification means. There is my salvation. Here is my sanctification. And I continue to wash myself with the water of the word of God. Yes, it is a distinct moment in time of surrenderance, but it is a continual process every day of my life. You will never convince me that you got sanctified one time and you never need cleaning up after that. I'm not going to believe it. I don't care how righteous you think you are. I know there are three sins of the flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, and you don't have to look far to see which category you fall into if you think you've never sinned since the time you were sanctified. No, we struggle in our sins and we bring it back to God and we continue wash ourselves. the word of God still convicts me. The word of God still changes me and I'm so thankful for it. Yes, I am trying to live a holy life as best as I can before the Lord and I am not excusing my sin and I'm not living in hyper grace to where I can just excuse any old way of living saying that grace covers it all. No, I've made a commitment to the Lord. I am following after him as as hard as I can, running after the cross as hard as I can, but I still need the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and I still need the refreshing of the Holy Spirit, and I still need the cleansing of the Holy Spirit in my life. So here's the outer court. Notice who controls the outer court. Man controls the outer court. And then notice who controls the inner court. Man controls the inner court. And the inner court is where the priests are. And there's three things that help us to get in all, all the way to God. You see, there's five stations, and I'm going to hit this quickly in a moment. There's five stations you must go through to get to mercy because grace is the only way to mercy. Five is the number of grace. So I have to go through the, the brazen altar, the laver. I have to go by the menorah, the table of shoe bread, and the altar of incense. And when I go to those five stations and I've completed grace, I can go into the mercy of God in the holy of holies to the mercy seat. But no Notice here, here is how I get to God. What is on the inside? The menorah, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. The, the table of shoe bread, which is the word of God. And the altar of incense, which is prayer. And all of that together is called worship. So worship is the entering into God's presence. So I start worshiping out here. I worship by the brazen altar when I lay down my sins. I worship by the labor when the Holy Spirit convicts me and the word of God cleanses me. I worship by the menorah as I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I worship by the table of shoe bread as I read my Bible. I worship in my prayers and all of that worship leads me into the presence of God. That is why when you start going to church and you've not been saved, what do they tell you to do? Well, you need to read your Bible and start praying. And that sounds like simple instructions, but you realize that is the only way to get there? It is, that is the very thing that Satan wants the body of Christ to neglect. If he can get you to neglect your prayer life, if he can get you to neglect the Word of God, the only thing you can do is flounder on the outside. When you stop praying and you stop reading the word of God, you struggle out here all the time. But it is the word of God and it is worship and it is prayer being led by the Holy Spirit. That is what purifies you and keeps you moving toward God. But that can only happen in the inner room. 
But that is the soul. That is where our soul struggles. Our soul is our body, soul, and spirit. And when we move from the outer court to the inner court, when we get to the Holy of Holies, that is where the fire has not been lit by human hands. That is where the cloud has not been conjured by human spirit. That is where the glory cloud dwells and the fire of God dwells on the mercy seat of God. That is where your spirit dwells. And I have good news for you tonight that when you come to Jesus Christ and you give your heart to him and you are saved in his presence, it is your spirit that is kept in the Holy of Holies and sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And no man can take that from you. No man can take your spirit from you. You may have be, you may get discouraged in your flesh and you may get troubled in your soul because man controls that. But if you will contend with the Lord, your spirit is safe with him. Your spirit is secure with him. Thank God that our spirit is not up for grabs. No man or demon can have my spirit when it's in the hands of Almighty God. So this is where we struggle a lot of times in the body of Christ because we have this school of thought that we can still be troubled by demons in our bodies. And it is very true that we can still be troubled by demons in our mind. And it's very true. So God has given us this illustration of the temple to help us to understand that until we understand the temple, we cannot understand our own spirituality. So in this outer court, you have the body. In this inner court, you have the soul, but in the most holy place, you have the spirit. And it is your spirit that has been sealed by the blood. It is your spirit that has been protected by the blood. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, Satan no longer has a claim to you. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, every demon of hell has lost their claim to you. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are safely in the hands of a God who cannot fail. You are safely in the hands of a sovereign Lord who can protect you and keep you even on your worst day. And even though your body struggles, your soul, your spirit is kept. And even though your mind struggles, your spirit is kept by God if you continue to contend toward him. Now, how does this work then? Because you have people that, that want to cast something out of you. Is that possible? And the answer is, unfortunately, yes. Because here is where we struggle. We struggle with our flesh wanting to rule. I don't know about you, but I think most people struggle with some part of the flesh, whether it's oversleeping, overeating, overtalking, lying, overindulgent, lust of the flesh, some so, exaggerate. I mean, it goes on gossiping. I know no one in Tennessee does that, but I hear in Kentucky it happens every now and then. But, uh, but I, I know we would never do that here. But we struggle with our flesh. And that's the struggle even, that's what disappoints people when they see a Christian struggling in their flesh. Well, I thought Christians would be different. I thought Christians would treat me different. And that is the thing sometimes that, 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 that we think that 
being saved means we're no longer human. And somehow we're super spiritual now to the point that we rise above the struggle of the flesh. And that is why you stay close to God. That is why they offered sacrifices in the morning and the evenings. And I just want to tell you something. I don't care how saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost you are or how saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost you think you are. You stop reading your Bibles. I promise you things will start coming out of your mouth that never came out of your mouth when you were in the Word. If you stop praying, I promise you, you'll start picking up swear words. You'll start picking up phrases. You'll start picking up negativity. You'll start looking at the gossip rumors and the gossip mill, participating in things. It's not because you're not saved, but it's because you're not sanctified anymore and you are no longer contending for his presence. If you move away from God, it doesn't mean that you're going to hell, but it does mean that you may struggle your way into heaven until you until you get yourself right with God. Now, are you saying once saved, always saved? No, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. You can walk away from God. I've had a lot of my dear Baptist friends, and I love, I have a wonderful Baptist friends. I actually preached the, the Free Will Baptist Convention one time, and I love the Baptist church, and I think they've done a great work in, in the kingdom of God. But I had some of them ask me one time, you know, do you believe in once saved, always saved? And I said, there's no way I can believe in once saved, always and always saved. But I do believe this, once in grace, always in grace. They said, well, what is the difference? The difference is this. You can walk away from God, but once you are his child, he will never walk away from you. The hounds of heaven will be on your heels for the rest of your life. I don't care how far you run. I don't care how far you go. You will never be out of the reach of an almighty God. I had a desperate mother who just texted me today in desperation saying, my son is so far, we can't reach him anymore. He won't call us. He won't have anything to do with us. He's denounced our whole family. And what can I do? And I said, unfortunately, there is nothing you can do. But here's what I know. I dedicated that boy to the Lord. What I know is I was there when he got filled with the Holy Ghost. I know that. I was there when he went to college and accepted a call to preach. What I know is that he did surrender himself to God. And even though he has walked away from everything he's ever believed in, he is denouncing everything he's ever believed in. No, he is not living right. He is not living in, in a place of salvation. But this is what I know. God will never leave him alone till the day he dies. God will pursue him and pursue him and pursue him. He will never be out of the reach of grace. Once you're in grace, you're always in grace. Grace will not leave you. Grace will not forsake you. You can run from God, but you'll never outrun God. God will always put a Christian in your path. There'll always be a Christian waiter at your table. There'll always be a Christian sit down beside of you on the plane. The, the baker you go to will be a Christian. The people who move in next to you will be a Christian. I don't care how far you run, you will never run away from the body of Christ because the Holy Spirit will set you up over and over and over and over again because God wants you back and he'll do whatever it takes to bring you back and that's a great hope 